Okay, that music means we're off on our holidays again with uh, Man Colin McGann. Hey, Man Colin, how's oh, it going? Uh, now, last week we, we kind of stayed local. We went to, to Lakelands. Really interesting, I have to say, in a, a region I think a lot of people probably hadn't explored and, and mm-hmm. certainly after listening to you, um, they definitely want to. Uh, we're going abroad, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to explore Crete. Yeah, yeah. beautiful islands. Yeah, and we have looked at some of the Greek islands in the past, but Gr- Crete is different from the other Greek islands. Like, it feels like a country of its own. Well, it's, it's almost big enough to yeah. be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, it's, and, and it's really important to Crete, because uh, to, to the rest of Greece, because it stays warmer longer, it produces vegetables for a longer range, and it's bec- like because it's also further away from the mainland, it has always remained independent. And, like, it's had its own history. It has been more important, it has been sort of important for longer than anywhere else in Europe. Like, the earliest known advanced civilization, the remains of it are still, are to be found on Crete. So, yeah, we can't just see it as another one of these party islands. Clearly, it does have that party element to it. Yeah. Some of the uh, southern beaches can be very loud and nasty. Yeah, actually, I, I went there uh, as on holiday many mm. years ago. Uh, I mean, well over 25 years ago I'd say with, with my now wife and right. um, we went to was it Mal- uh, Malia I think yeah, it was yeah. and I have to say absolutely hated it mm. but hired a car got out and drove around the island and we were just blown away by it. It makes it's, such a difference. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, and though, I mean, those those beach resorts, I mean, it's what Crete depends on for its tourism money and that's fine, but they're very loud and they're getting, they've got as bad and they're worse. In the, you know, it's still sort of quad bikes roaring up and down with sort of louts during the day who get very drunk at night. And then, but the local pubs selling this sort of industrial alcohol in huge sort of um, fishbowl glasses to get people very drunk. Uh, very early. It's it is nasty, but you need you don't need to see any of that whatsoever. You know, if you go to so basically the north. So what it, the island is like a big wedge, okay? Um, and so the north of it has these long beaches, uh, sunny sandy beaches. The south is more little coves, a load of gorges coming down from the mountains mm-hmm. into narrow coves. Uh, some nice beaches, but much more difficult to get. Not these big straight ones. It's these narrow small um, beaches, wherever they are, and a lot of sheer cliffs. So, um, you know, both sides of the island are very different. The thing to do, though, is, like, Ryanair flies in there, not all year, but in the summer months, sort of from March until about now. Um, It's probably another week or two of it, I think, until they... Uh, maybe only a week before Ryanair finishes. Anyway, for, and it can cost from 140 euros right up to 500 euros if you get the wrong weekend. Yeah, it's a long old flight now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and clearly it's so tour, it's so weekend holiday dependent. So Ryanair, the the the, fly, the prices are are changing. But worth bearing in mind, if one wants to um, help Greece in its time of crisis, then consider going using one of the local Greek airlines. Like AG and Air will get you there through London. It'll cost. It'll take a lot longer. It'll cost more. Um, but it's it's a way of doing it. And the interesting thing about that is they'll go to Heraklion, the other um, capital city, on the other major city on the east side of the uh, on the northern east side, as opposed to which the side. is a lovely city. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so both of those Heraklion is the modern capital. Heniar, Chiniar, Henia is the old capital. Again, Bo- beautiful spot. Ah, oh, and both of them were you know you've got everything because they were Minoan cities long ago, but then they were built up to a beautiful extent with Venetian wealth. So phenomenal wealth, Venetian palaces, Venetian fortresses. Um, then the then the Ottomans came along and built their sort of uh, mosques and their you know sort of sort of palatial buildings on top. And then you've also been, you have uh, Byzantine architecture, gorgeous old churches and chapels. Yeah, and I, I mean you, you almost have, you always have to be careful seeing this anywhere in Greece. But there is almost kind of a Turkish feel, isn't there, mm-hmm. to, to, to Crete totally. in in places? Yeah, and it was a strong influence on it for a long many years. In fact, I mean it dictated their whole mindset. And the reason that they do have the reason they do feel independent and strong is because that's who they were fighting. They had less, well, a lot more related. 
direct relations and trouble with Turkey than they had with, with the mainland of mm. Greece. Okay. Saki says about the island that it produced more history than it can consume locally, which I love. It's basically laden down with... Right the, up to World War II, because yeah. it was, it was exactly. of great strategic importance in World War II as well. well. You just look at the location. like It's exactly between three continents, between Asia, Africa and Europe. It was bound to, to get involved. Mm. The food in the place is phenomenal. And yeah. often... Uh, you know, islands that depend on tourism can have forgotten all those traditions and just import everything in to, to satisfy the Brits and the Germans. They didn't. Well, I mean, they did in, the, in those southern um, sort of resort towns. But up in the mountains, they remain absolutely self-sufficient. So you'll still find tavernas that are, produ- that are basically putting on the table their own goats meat, you know, from goats that they have ranging in the mountains, their own vegetables that are or wild herbs that they're collecting up in the mountains. It's their own honey. It'll be their own fish because they or an uncle or a cousin will have a boat out in the sea. It'll be their own yogurt, their own goat milk. Um, like, it is rare to find that level of independence. And each, not only will each region and each village, but sometimes each family will have their own cheese-making recipe handed down to generations. Fantastic. It is, like, for local sort of slow food, it is phenomenally rich. And... As I said, that wasn't supported by the first wave of tourism into Ireland. There's now, or into Crete, there's now a whole range of sort of eco and authentic and sort of sustainable tourism companies um, linking up people with these remote villages to get some great food. Um, the people, my recollection, it's a long time since mm. I was there, they were, I, I really liked them, incredibly sociable. I remember going to hire a car and we'd done the deal and mm. then your man insisted we have about four shots of this blackie. <laughs> so we kind of stumbled out of it yeah, after. Yeah. We weren't driving I, yeah. until the next day, I hasten mm-hmm. to add. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, an interesting people. Yeah, like as you say, because they've had the pressures of three continents brewing on top of them, they've had to be able to relate to the world, to communicate. They've always depended on trades, on, on, on sort of merchant ships passing through and they still have this strong sense of tradition. Like if you're going around the villages, you'll see people preparing for local festivals or fairs that are happening and there'll be unique dances if you come across a wedding. Like the, each area in each town will have its own traditional dances that are still maintained. Everyone will be so proud of whatever wine they're producing from the few little uh, sort of trees uh, in their area and they're still putting olives aside in these big pithoi these big clay pots that has been done for the last 4,000 years so you know the arranged marriages are relatively common there dowries are still given for a, for a wife um, and you know there's this the gun is still a vital um, is still a vital tool hopefully the only time you come across it is, is at, at a wedding, wedding. Yeah, where... and they're firing it in the air exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Um, in terms of places to see mm-hmm. I mean there's probably endless places. Yeah, there? yeah, but you do but need to a, see Knossos. You need to see the Palace of Knossos. So basically, this is where the Minotaur. You know the legend, the Minotaur came from. King Minos of Knossos. Uh, he is given this um, this sort of magnificent white bull to to, to it's, sacrifice. It's basically the, the Cretan version of uh, the brown the brown bull of Cooley, isn't it? Yeah, almost? exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's given it to sacrifice to Poseidon. He keeps it, and so he doesn't sacrifice. So Poseidon gets so angry, he makes the bull fall in love with his wife. And it creates the Minotaur, half man, half bull, and that just wreaks havage, havoc, you know, because the bullets then had to be sacrificed uh, virgins and children too. Um, but you feel <laughs> that sense that this is a place that, like the Palace of Minotaur, of, um, of Knossos, it was built in 1900 BC. So this is like 4,000 years old. It was knocked in an earthquake. So the main bit of it is sort of 1700 BC or 1500. But... It was it was badly recreated in between by this architect, English British archaeologist Arthur Evans, in the early part of the twentieth century. So that was crass in terms of archaeology, but it really gives us a powerful sense because you, when you go around, you see the rooms, the the sort of the the old pal- the marketplaces, the theatres, the um, 
the amphitheatres, the 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 Queen's own bath chambers. Now, whether it was the Queen's, you see, when this professor, when this archaeologist came along, he's putting he put these nice titles. But you could come across a phenomenal bathroom from. 4,000 years old, old, okay, with its own terracotta bath, with a beautiful dolphin fresco in the, in the ground, or, or what is it, um, collage in the ground, uh, that is 4,000 years old. So basically, the sort of culture that you normally go to ancient Greece, to, ancient Egypt to see, it's there in uh, this one little fragment of Europe which was way ahead of of the rest of mainland Europe at the time. There's all the drainage system. There's the air conditioning system that they had 4,000 years ago. You can still see it. All little rooms off the corridors and the little sort of verandas are all created in such a way that they would keep cool in the summer and then warm it's in the warm winter. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's worth, oh, definitely worth a visit. Oh, like it'll blow your mind. A lot of the greatest like artefacts from it have been put over in Heraklion in the Archaeological Museum there, which is also... Worth going to is see. that worth going? I was going yeah, to ask. Is that yeah. worth going to see? I mean, I know you want to get out. It's a warm place. You don't want to spend too much time in the museums. But where else are you going to see what Europe was doing four thousand years ago? Do you know? Uh, in fact, there's bits. It was before that was a Neolithic site, so it goes back seven thousand years. In, in in truth. Okay. Now we've mentioned uh, Hania. Definitely, I I think mm-hmm. it's definitely worth staying overnight there, isn't it? And oh, beautiful so, restaurants. Yeah, and exactly. And because all those buildings, as you said, like mercifully, it wasn't as destroyed as it could have been in the First World War. A lot of the old Venetian palaces, some have their had their um, roofs blown off them or knocked off and crumbled in time. But what they've done there is they create lovely old bars and old restaurants outside within the walls of the old I've, palace. I've, I've Incredible, yeah, really atmospheric. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, this is gorgeous. Um, now, the Arcadi Monastery. What, tell us about that. Oh, so, yeah, to, to to get to understand that Cretan mindset and how they are so different from Greece and from the rest, go to the Arcadi Mount Monastery. We often talk about there's a place in uh, Masada in Jerusalem, which is the same similar story. Story. If you want to understand the Israeli mind, you need to go to the Masada Fortress. Arcadi Monastery was what happened. In the late 19th century, the Greeks, the local Cretan people started getting rowdy about these Ottoman um, oppressors in their country and they started mounting revolts, okay? So in 1866, the Turkish army comes across um, to to break down these, this local revolt that's happening. The local Cretan people hide themselves in the Arcadi Monastery. These are men, women and children thinking they're going to be safe within the monastery. But a thousand, uh, 2,000 Turkish soldiers raid the monastery and attack it from all sides and the Cretan people realise they're going to be wiped out. One way or the other, they're going to be wiped out. The Turkish people are coming up the hill, coming at the monastery. So what they decide to do, the local people, the wives, the children, the adults, they set fire to the, um, the, the, the gunpowder within the, the, within the church monastery, exploding so if themselves. if they're going down, they're bringing the, the Turks with them, yeah, basically. Yeah, so hundreds of, uh, of local Cretan people, you know, as I said, whole families were wiped out as they set fire to the, to the gunpowder, knowing they were going to be exploded. The building was, the holy sacred building, the monastery was going to be exploded, but also were their enemies. And you still see in an old, one little girl escaped alive to tell the story. And she lived in a neighbouring village to a ripe old age, which, you know, like, we think we have powerful stories in our history. Yeah. That's some bloody story of sacrifice. That's an incredible. Story. And all their bones, you know, a collection of some of their bones are in this ossuary uh, beside an old mill, just just near, nearby the monastery. It's it's 
it's a visceral thing, but it is a sacred site to the local people. And one needs to visit it on those terms, cover one's shoulders, realise this is more important. You know, it's not only a church, a Christian site, but it's a site about their struggle against Turkey. They're still going to survive. OK, so we've um, we've got a bit of history. We've got a bit of culture. Mm-hmm. We want to hit the beach. Yeah. But we don't want to hit the beach with the lager life. So <laughs> no. wh- where do we go? That, I mean, to find the best little hidden beaches, they'll all take a bit of a trip, but they're really worth doing. The tri- like if you're, as you say, if you're renting a car, a day out to find either one of these little gorgeous or beaches at the bottom of a gorge. Prevali Beach is just beautiful. So it's right at the, the Megalopotamus River, winds its way uh, down through the, eventually to the Kortalitiko Gorge until it finds its way eventually into the sea, splurging cold water out into the sea and creating this like a little exclamation mark of a crystal uh, beach uh, uh, into the water. It is beautiful because you've got the chilly waters coming down from the mountains, going into the sea, which, you know, in the summer months is bloody hot. Um, and it creates this phenomenal place. To get to it, you're either going to do a one kilometre quite steep hike down a trail uh, down the Cliff Mountain side or you could drive along so if you're there's a lovely drive to uh, to uh, there's a road as far as Amudi Beach which is lovely in its own respect but that's sort of a long twisty five kilometre uh, drive great tavern on the way Taverna Gefreya um, but when you get to Amundi, Amundi Beach then you can just walk along the shore about another kilometre to get to Prevalley Beach it and, is a beautiful and place worth, yeah, worth, worth, the, yeah. uh, worth the walk there's one other great beach on the other side so right on the northwestern tip out at the edge of the Gramvaso Peninsula which is Balos Beach another just you know turquoise uh, waters white sands again a long trek it's like six kilometres out along this windy road along the peninsula a lot of big potholes in it but when you get then you still have the sheer cliff walk down to the beach and it's it's so worth finding these little these little uh, secret beaches. Yeah. Okay, um, the uh, the Dictyon Cave yeah. is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, exactly. This was where Zeus was born, and it is as eerie and as sort of um, powerful and potent as you can imagine. Basically, it's an underground cave, okay, with stalactites formed over millennia. But the thing is, it winds down into the earth, sort of corkscrewing down. There's a load of bats that will swoop out at you and they've eerily lit it with blue and sort of green lighting, uh, red and green lighting. So it feels really dark. And because you're eventually winding your way down into deeper and deeper into the earth till you get to a chamber, and this was the chamber, as I said, where... Um, where Zeus was born from from the god Cronos, uh, his off as I said, his his father, who was this offspring gobbling sort of uh, beast, yeah, um, definitely so, to be avoided. Then, yeah, yeah. So which you know, so basically Zeus had to be protected from your man. So they put him in the bottom. They drop him down this chamber. It's 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 dark. It's eerie on a rainy day. You know, where the water will seep down through the limestone. It can get very slippy. Uh, but it's it's. Oh, to get into to really feel that you are in the womb uh, of the earth uh, and maybe entering into a sort of Greek mythology in a really profound way. It's like, you know, when Orpheus goes down into the underworld, that's the sort of sense you get there. And because that's you're fantastic. in that Greek world, it's interesting. Okay, yeah. listen, we're almost out of time. Just be- before I let you go, though, mm-hmm. um, the Sam- Samaria, Samaria Gorge, is a, it's a big attraction as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, there'll be 3,000 people a day walking through that. It's like 16 kilometres, lovely. You know, a gorge, a very basically a dramatic geological formation of rock 500 metre tall rocks on either side sometimes both rock sides are only 3 metres apart and you're walking your whole way what you do is you get driven you drive or you get a bus to the top of the gorge uh, on the Orno Pass and you walk down it'll take between 4 and 8 hours normally about 6 hours until you eventually get out of the sea you get out at uh, Agri Rumeli so it starts at 1,200 metres you hike the whole way down through the heat of the sun there's loose 
there's water stops along the way and the fact there's a ticket system so that you can't get lost like you'll be you know be ticked on the way in and ticked on the way out okay. but it's a gorgeous gorge walk to do um, and we've mentioned the uh, the kind of um, the Hellenic debauchery the, the, mm-hmm. the places like Malia if you want to go the absolute opposite extreme yeah. you can stay in these beautiful kind of traditional Cretan villages exactly just put in sustainable Crete or ecological Crete and you'll find out great great websites purecrete.com for 25 years has been trying to go back to remote areas get them to recreate their old villages but to put in a few rooms in it so it's, it's a lovely company that has that sort of thing of introducing you to local people who are still producing their own wine and olive oil Okay, it's worth doing you're a fan are you it I love like Crete yeah yeah because, I mean anyone who's still keeping those traditions alive and the tourism is helping to keep those traditions alive like is phenomenal in my book Okay, yeah, I have to say I loved it now. Long time since I've been, but uh, listen to you, it makes me want to go again. Uh, Mancon McGann, thanks as ever uh, for coming in to us. You'll be back with George uh, next week.